Hi, you're listening to Delusional Optimism with Dr. B, where we explore human resiliency and learn how people thrive even after adversity. We break down the complexities of the human brain so concepts are simple and relatable. It's fun and empowering to understand how your earliest experiences influence your relationships today. What makes you tick? Dr. B is a speaker, trainer, and consultant who understands emotions and human development from the inside out. Let's dive into today's episode. Here's Dr. B. Episode two. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about optimism and neuroscience, a personal story. If you're interested in furthering this conversation, please email me at contact at drbconnections.com. Or if you want to know more about me or book a training, go to my website at www.drbconnections.com. This episode was recorded on June 25th during a Facebook Live series. Without further ado, let's kick it over to the episode. We are actually heading into the very last week of the Facebook Live sessions that started off as COVID-19 quarantined with Dr. B back in March. And by the end of this week, we will have completed 75 episodes on Friday. And so today, what we're going to be doing is transitioning over to the podcast that I've been sort of talking about here and there. But we're going to we're going to transition over to the podcast this week. So let's get busy. Um, Today is the neuroscience of optimism. Number one. It is June 23rd, 2020. I want to do a big shout out to my very good childhood friend, Christina Santoro, who I've known for 41 years. We were 12 years old together. So happy birthday, sister. I love you. And so again, this Friday will be the last Facebook Live, and we're going to transition into delusional optimism with Dr. B, the podcast. It won't start off immediately, but I will definitely keep you posted and give you little updates, but it will start in July. So let's start by defining what is an optimist. So an optimist is somebody who believes in change, and it means growth with endless possibilities. So an optimist can see lots and lots of outs to any situation. So it's the endless possibilities of a a situation. And a pessimist on the flip side of optimism sees change as scary. So it feels like, you know, the unknown. Remember how, how uncertainty is really unsettling for us as we did the neuroscience of uncertainty? Well, pessimists view the world as uncertain and scary when change occurs, especially when it occurs without much notice, and it feels completely overwhelming. So if we start from those two places, most people are not all optimistic or all pessimistic. We have qualities of both, just like, you know, anything else. But the, great re- but the great news is that research has found that we actually have the capacity to rewire our brains in adulthood to be more positive 
creative, resilient, productive, and see more possibilities, meaning be more optimistic. And so with that in mind, that's sort of what got me thinking about delusional optimism because I kind of view the world always from this place of, I've had several roadblocks in my life. So I'll share a little bit about that to start with. Um, I, I always see opportunities even in negative situations. I don't know why that is, but it is what it is. And so I'm going to tell you a story that sort of also leads into why I'm going to uh, stop doing Facebook Live this Friday, and then we'll pick up with the podcast in July. And that is, so here's a here's a little Dr. B, uh, you heard it here first, story. When I was... 26. When I was 26, I had a four and a half, five-year-old and an 11-month-old baby. And I was in a car accident. And it was, if you live in Fresno, it was at Palm and Gettysburg. And what, at 26, we, I pull into this, you know, solid, solid green light. And right out of the corner of my left eye, I see this car just barreling through. I I can tell it's going to go through the intersection and it's going to hit me. And so I had just enough time in that moment to say to myself, please, God, whoever God is, please, God, don't, don't let me die. My children really need me. And please, God, don't let them die. I really need them. So, like, I had this really fast millisecond thought process around this event as I see this car coming and it just slams into my driver's side door with no brakes. So, I was in a little small um, a Ford Escort wagon. They were brand new. They did not have airbags back in 1993, 94. And, um, but it must have had reinforced doors. I mean, literally, if you looked at the car after the fact, you just think, like, there's no way anybody survived that car accident. However, I did. It pushed my car all the way through the intersection and spun it around to facing head-on traffic. Fortunately, though, everybody stopped, and somebody called 911. And in the process, I was, I was backboarded out of my car by the fire department and sent obviously in an ambulance to the hospital. And the kids, my kid's dad was at the car at the time, but he was on the other side of the car, so he didn't have the impact. And always when I drove in the car, my son, Joe, would sit kitty corner to me. So if I was driving, he would sit on the opposite side or if I was the passenger, he would sit on that corner side so we could, you know, make eye contact and chat because he's my chatterbug. And so, thank goodness, on that day, I was driving and they put him on the far side of the car. So even though it was a, a substantial impact, he bit through his lip, but other than that, he was relatively fine. And my daughter, who was 11 months old at the time, was in a car seat, and she was in the middle section, and so the impact 
jarred her so much that she had bruises on her little collarbones and her little baby hip bones, but again, relatively unscathed. And so, and their dad too, he was on the far side of the car and he jumped out of the car immediately and was like, what the heck just happened? And, you know, some whiplash and some pains and, and bruises, but relatively unscathed. I was the one who took this hit. So in the long, the long, a uh, picture of that story was I ended up having a back fusion. I ended up, it blew out my L4-5 disc and I ended up having a back fusion at 26, which is a pretty big deal. And, and I, you know, I've always surfed. I've always been an active person. So the idea of going from an active young mom to pretty much, this is 26 years ago too. I mean, I came home from my back surgery first on a walker and then on a cane. It was a little bit, you know, rattling for my very young egocentric um, identity in terms of recovery. But I also went into that probably very naive, but also very optimistic. Like it never even occurred to me that I wouldn't surf again. And so I went into my surgery knowing that I would come out of my surgery and once I recovered, I would be able to do all the things that I had been able to do before. And whether that's true for most people or not, I believe that that optimism and that I know for sure, I don't even believe it. This is not a belief. This is a neuropsychological pattern in people's brains. And it was active in my brain that I had decided that I was going to recover from that surgery and do all the things that I did before. So I even skateboarded after that surgery a few years later, which um, I grew up doing. And I felt like if I can do this, this, and this, then I'm back to normal. And so so that's that's that story. You know, 26 years ago that happened to me and I had just I was opening a business at the time and you know, I ended up being in recovery for a couple of years, so I ended up not doing that business and and that's what led me into my career teaching uh community college full time for, you know, almost two decades. 15 years or so. So anyway, the point of that story is that being a delusional optimist helps people get to the point or being an optimist. I don't you don't have to be delusional about it, but being an optimist helps people move forward in terms of recovery in whatever sense that happens in your life, whenever it is that you happen to need that. So the thing about optimism is that it's you're able to have optimism number 1 if you strongly are pulled in that in that direction but also the other part of it is that there's a preparedness piece by being prepared for a particular kind of event that might be really really negative the ability to have some control over that, which is also what preparedness means, gives people more optimism and the ability to be more optimistic about a particular situation. 
So it gives you the ability to deal with the setbacks and to take advantage of the opportunities. Now, I want to say that again because it's so critical to understanding optimism. And when we understand something new, it's really important to relate it to something in your own life. And so when we deal with setbacks, we then also have the opportunity to take advantage of opportunities. So to take advantage of opportunities becomes present. Remember, what we think affects what we do. This is why everybody in the universe is talking about mindset matters. Well, mindset does matter. But I also don't want to give the impression at all that I believe that people, if they're just optimistic, can think their way out of really difficult situations or circumstances like um, having a terminal illness or having a significant injury. Can your, can your thought process and thinking and attitude support how that goes for you? To some degree, yes. But you cannot cure terminal cancer just by thinking your way out of that box. I don't believe that. And I find it a little bit unnerving when people talk about, you know, oh, you, you caused your own cancer because of stress or your lifestyle of whatever, because I don't believe that's true. I think we all have, have ailments and illnesses and injuries that are just, that just happen and they're nobody's fault. They're just part of the universe. What I do think though is that optimism, it certainly cannot hurt and it in some ways can help whatever is coming down the pike in terms of the circumstances we find ourselves in. So beliefs in our own ability to succeed are powerful dictators to our effort and our actions. So delusional optimist ironically spells the word do. And so when we're delusionally optimistic, then we move in the direction of doing things that potentially are actions that support us moving forward, whatever that is. That forward might be something completely different than you originally planned. So optimism lives in the left hemisphere of the brain. So which the left hemisphere of the brain is the active mode of the brain, and it sends positive feedback from our motor movements. So like, I don't know if you saw the video um, several weeks ago where my phone actually fell off the tripod and I caught it before it hit the ground right in the middle of a Facebook Live episode. So that's an example of it sending, and I caught it, which sent a positive message into my brain of confidence that I can, you know, it's, it's unconscious, but it sent this message of, oh, wow, I have motor dexterity. I caught the phone that gives me confidence and says to me in a weird, unconscious way, you can manage your life. And when we have those kinds of experiences, I really want you to just start noticing them. You know, if something falls off the counter and you catch it, or maybe you find something that you're looking for, 
or you find something in the environment. It can be all kinds of things. You start to trip, but you catch yourself. All those motor activities that happen send the message of confidence to your brain on a subconscious level, which then translates into, I can manage my life. I'm confident in my actions and that I can manage my life. It's weird, but that's the backside neuroscience of optimism. Now, on the flip side of that, we have pessimism, which lives actually on the opposite side of the brain in the right hemisphere. And it's this very watchful and inhibitive part of the brain. So what happens when we're pessimistic, we are overly cautious and watchful about things, which then minimizes our ability to have those motor, that motor dexterity to build confidence and send us the message that we're effective in our lives. Instead, we watch things happen. They happen before us. We don't intervene, and it sends us the opposite message. I'm not in control of my life. So that's the pessimistic side. And if you go into things feeling like you have no control or power over the situation, then you're just, you, you are then a victim of the circumstance. You're not a victim of the illness or the injury. I mean, obviously we're all, if something happens to us unexpectedly, that just is, that's just how life is. Now, optimism isn't necessarily all good because some of that, you know, confidence and motor dexterity can lead to overly risky behavior, which can then lead to, you know, negative things happening. You know, if you think you can fly and you jump off a building, well, that's going to probably lead to something terrible happening. And so it has to be in perspective and it has to be mediated by other parts of the brain that help us protect ourselves. Remember the amygdala, which I'm going to talk about because it's so fascinating how we've talked about the amygdala before in terms of its fear settings, but we're gonna talk about the amygdala and its contribution to optimism and how it works in, in the world of optimism. So all of that story leads to, I'm doing a podcast. It's called Delusional Optimism. I wasn't sure exactly when I was gonna finish my Facebook Lives in order to make this transition, but the decision kind of was made for me. So I told you about the car accident 26 years ago and I had a really great result from that, that fusion. And I was, I had a baby after that fusion. I had, I've been able to surf for all the way up until, I mean, I surfed last year. I played on a kickball team. I've been very active and capable of doing things with my L4-5 fusion. Now, what I have learned, what started occurring, I've always had a little bit of pain, but in the last few months, that pain has sort of tipped over the edge. My expectation was that I was going to need some little, like, fix it up, you know, band-aid sort of surgery for my back to get out of the pain. But what I learned last week was that I, I'm ready for an L3-4 fusion. So I'm facing my same surgery that I had 26 years ago in, 
in July, in early July. So that's pr really pushing me towards this mindset of I've got to prep myself, my brain and my body and my family and my situation, especially during COVID-19, where no visitors are allowed to the hospital and I'll be there several days, to focus on me in order to be prepared to go into that surgery and come out of that surgery ready to roll like my normal self again. So I wanted to share that because it's a really personal story about my journey in terms of surgery, but it's relative to anybody's journey in terms of a hurdle. Whenever you come up to a place where you have to face something that's scary and it has a lot of unknowns, any type of a surgery, any type of an illness, any type of an event that happens to somebody that you care about or love in your family, we run up against our brain taking over and running us down a path of panic. And we also take this opportunity to find our assets and build on them in order to be able to face that fear the best we can with what we have and go forward. So I'm using myself as this, this example so that you can see sort of the before and then eventually you'll hear the after. Maybe I'll even do a live, you know, a couple weeks or a month after my surgery so you can see that I'm really going to work my optimistic spirit into this surgery because I want it to go well. My expectation is that I'm going to come out and be exactly like I am sitting here right now, minus a few a few levels of mobility for a little while, and then I'm going to get back on, to, on, to, on with my life. So, so you're going to get to witness that, and let's hope it all works out well. I appreciate any prayers or good well wishes, but, um, but the brain is in service of survival, and I'm going to use my brain in order to optimistically pull for all the strengths that I have in my body to try to make this surgery go really well. It's funny because I just had a doctor, a doctor phone call with the like pre-op doctor who's like, she, she kept saying things like, oh my gosh, you're scheduled for five hours of surgery. And oh my gosh, this is really big. You're staying in that. And she just kept saying all the parts that are really scary to me. And I kept having to reassure her like, no, it's going to be fine. You know, maybe I'll get out earlier. Or maybe, you know, the surgery won't take all five hours. And she's like, yeah, if it did, they'd have to finish you in the kitchen. And I'm like, who says that to your patient. <laughs> but, um, but in, in all funny, it, you know, it's going to be fine. And I'm convinced of that. I have people in my life that I love and I care about who love and care about me. And I know that they're going to be on a hundred percent in support. And so the biggest hurdle is just going to sleep and waking up and figuring out my way back onto my feet. Kickball might be off the channel now for, for probably the rest of my life, but I will definitely manage the Dr. B kickball uh, Purple Rain team when we're out of COVID-19. So with that being said, folks, 
We are at five minutes away from ending this episode. And I want to tell you, we have three more days and we're going to continue to talk about optimism and we're going to dig a little bit deeper into what optimism means, where it lives in our brain, how it impacts our amygdala, because a lot of things are going on in our world. And when I thought of the title delusional optimist, you know, I don't think of that in the terms of delusional as it's unaccomplishable. I think of delusional optimism as we have a myriad of millions of opportunities and ideas and innovations in the world to make our world a better, more just, more equal, more loving place. And we're living at the tipping point of change in our country right now. And it's going to take all of us being delusional optimists to make that happen. It won't always be easy. And we have to balance it with other parts of our brain in order to decide what is, where can we go from here? Number one, we don't want to go back to normal. We need to stop saying, let's go back to normal after COVID. Nobody wants to go back to normal. We have now recognized that, holy cow, normal was really terrible, especially for African Americans and, and our communities of color and, and other people as well. So we don't want to go back to normal. So we have to delusionally, optimistically imagine what our new world is going to look like. And that's going to take an effort from everybody. So... This week, we're going to learn about it. We're going to talk more about the neuroscience of optimism, and I will see you in the morning. I didn't tell you that story so you'd feel sorry for me or feel bad or feel whatever, because I'm feeling like if I could go into surgery today, I would. So I'm, I'm feeling really anxious and, and excited about getting to the other side of that surgery and on the road to recovery. So I told you that story in order for you to, number one, understand me a little bit better, but also understand how optimism works and how I'm preparing myself to go into that surgery and come out of that surgery. Whether it works or not, it's all going to ultimately be okay. Take care. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. I appreciate the opportunity to connect with you. If you're interested in booking a training, I'd love to hear from you. You can reach me at my website, Dr. B Connections. There's a big button that says, book a training with Dr. B. It's that easy. If this show has been beneficial for you, please share it with your friends and family. Spreading the word about the show helps us grow our audience and helps continue to change the world together. Again, thanks so much for listening to Delusional Optimism. Now, go leave a life print.